You're listening to City is Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm your host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis from the great city of Tacoma, Washington. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, Rick. Good to see you and hear your voice. Wow. Are you, uh, you know, keeping the sunscreen on and all that for this during this uh, summer series here? Well, it looks like uh, our fall began to come back here when we woke up this morning with a little bit of that uh, northwest rain. But yeah, overall, it's been a good summer of weather, hasn't it? Well, yeah, it has. And, and you know, we've been uh, tracking now, uh, talking about the idea of uh, non, well, actually, we've been talking about responding in leadership in a non-reactive way. And it's important for us to realize that uh, non-reactive does not mean non-responsive. It just means responding non-reactively. And so uh, uh, what, a, what a timely uh, uh, topic in terms of what's happening in leadership, not only globally, nationally, and uh, even locally, but certainly in, in our own uh, particular cities, as well as our own families. Yeah. Um, and this does have a, uh, an amazing foundation or, uh, you know, a grounding in a theological idea. So, uh, you know, bring us back to, uh, to kind of where we, where we come from. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, I think we mentioned this at the last podcast, Rick, that uh, one of the things that Leadership Foundation's global office does each year is grab a hold of a, a leadership thing, because one of the things we're always interested in is how do we continue to kind of curate and cultivate the leadership culture of leadership foundations. And so mm -hmm. this year, the theme has been uh, from James Allison, who has uh, become a good friend and a colleague, um, but he has the statement where he says that uh, the essentially the Holy Spirit uh, can never be uh, uh, seen or operationalized in a reactive place. Uh, mm -hmm. It can only take place uh, where hard-won places uh, are taking place, rivalry breaks down, and forgiveness emerges. And when we picked it, you know, that was back in, in January, we had, of course, no idea that what awaited us in 2020 right. uh, were these, these twin pandemics. Uh, but I've, I've often thought, you know, Rick, that uh, the, the timing, the sort of almost divine choreography that we had that, uh, that definition come to us. And I think, you know, the deeply theological resonance of it is that it's, it's the incarnation itself. I think one of the most striking things for me when I watch uh, the Gospels unfold is what appears to be Jesus's lack of hurry. Uh, I mean, there's a, I don't know if I like this word, but I'm going to throw it out there. there there's almost a casualness uh, to him as mm -hmm. he walks through uh, the roads and, and ultimately, you know, to Jerusalem. Uh, he's serious. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt that he is uh, well aware of his mission, but you don't ever feel like the pace kind of quickens. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's a beautiful picture that the incarnation itself um, moves you uh, away from reaction to something that we would describe as responsible leadership, being able to yeah. see what's going on, uh, to make sure that our you know, decisions, our words are, are coming from a place uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, is not in a hurry, uh, you know, isn't trying yeah. to quicken things. So. Yeah, and, and in terms of the incarnation, um, that really does... Um, well, I think of two things. Uh, first of all, this this idea that we're in 2020, which is such a reference to vision, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and seeing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, that maybe during, uh, this remarkable year of 2020, um, it does become, uh, a pivot on, on how we see things, certainly the city, yeah. but, but at the same time, how we see incarnation and we realize that it's not, um, it's not disconnected from, uh, what's an important idea in, uh, you know, LF sort of liturgy is the, uh, the idea of incarnation and place, the yep. theology of place. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, kind of remind us, you know, how that connects. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, would maybe back up half a step and say that with leadership foundations, you know, the, the, the huge, huge theological idea that sits at the base of everything we do, you know, from our vision of seeing cities as playgrounds to our mission, uh, to our values, uh, is the incarnation. Um, mm-hmm. we, we think that's the central idea and the ramifications of it, of course, can be pulled down, you know, time and time and time again. Um, you know, it's the incarnation that I think gives us, uh, you know, any kind of confidence, for example, that you can actually be in the city uh, and you know, take care of yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Incarnation is what um, allows uh, us to have as diverse of cities as Pretoria, South Africa, um, thinking and doing uh, the same kinds of things as a place like Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. So, so I think in that, one of the ramifications of the incarnation is that you begin to develop uh, what is called a theology of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think this has been important, uh, Rick, and one of the real, I think, again, bits of genius uh, in Sam Shoemaker and Reed Carpenter is that, of course, you know, we're always about people. We want to think about people. We want to, uh, you know, do whatever we can to help people uh, develop their lives. But you, you can't say that, I think, with any kind of seriousness if you don't then also take into account the place those people live in. Um, mm-hmm. Right. It's going to be uh, yes to that person. But there's a school district and school system that impacts them. Uh, there is a, you know, uh, business uh, reality to that city that, that, you know, again, you've got to take seriously. I think it's even as basic as, you know, just kind of public transportation. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, housing stock. I mean, all of those have a direct relationship to uh, to people. So. For leadership foundations, we have what we call our theology of place, and that we are, when we do our work, you know, we're thinking about people, but we're also thinking about the places that these people uh, reside in. I, I don't know if I've said this to you before, Rick, but one of, the, one of the most wonderful quotes I ever came across was something that the Archbishop William Temple said many years ago. He said that the first picture we get of God in the scripture is God kneeling down into the dust and blowing God's breath into it. And then he said, as a result of that, Christianity is the most materialistic of religions. It not only cares about souls, it cares about sewers. Um, and I, I think that idea is, is critical for leadership foundations. Yeah. Um, we, we care about souls, to be sure, but we also care about the sewers that affect those souls. Yeah, and that's reflected in the idea of uh, looking at our cities as playgrounds, Instead of battlegrounds, so that's a a statement Mm -hmm. of place, but it certainly also reflects on the people, Mm -hmm. you know, that are there and and the work that they're doing. In fact, um, that that this whole incarnation idea is definitely connected as well to, um, you know, the the idea of empowering, um, you know, not hoarding power, but 
distributing it, giving it away and, and, uh, and, and actually walking with or accompanying others, especially as we see the incarnation, you know, that's another picture we see of Jesus that is not only unhurried. Um, and you know, he, uh, he knew, uh, I have to think he knew he was on the clock, but like you said, <laughs> even some of Jesus responses, you know, when somebody's so desperate to seek an answer and he, his response is, uh, that's pretty close. You're not far, yeah. you know, keep, yeah. keep it up. You know I mean? It's just such yeah. a different, uh, approach than we have where we we're kind of always wanting to close the deal, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and so, yeah, in fact, Rick, I was thinking that if I had to point to one place in the scripture that maybe, uh, most captures Jesus's non-reactive um, work as well as his ability to, you know, accompany somebody. You know, it's really the John 4 passage and the woman at the well. I mean, here is a woman that he shouldn't even be associating with. Um, you know, he has, again, this, you know, what seems like a very casual uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. But then later in the story, you, know, you think about all the important places Jesus needs to go and the important people he needs to talk with. It says that he spends two whole days with this woman in her village. Yeah. Now, if, you, if you're only going to live to 33 and a half years old and you're yeah. kind of trying to budget time, I don't think <laughs> right, what would occur to you is I'm going to spend two days with this woman who isn't even Jewish. Uh, right. That sits outside of all the corridors of power. Um, just because I think she needs to have somebody just sort of accompany her. And that picture, I think, is exactly, again, uh, what leadership foundations try to do. You, you know, you don't come in as problem solvers. Um, I mean, there are problems to be solved, uh, but you don't come in as problem solvers. And you certainly don't come in to, you know, kind of uh, fix things. What, what you do as a leadership foundation is you come into a city to accompany it, mm-hmm. um, to walk with it, uh, to allow the city itself and its people to begin to surface. Um, what are the issues that we need to think about to uh, to engage? And you know, long story short, but that's actually what the wheel of change does for us. It's the mechanism by which we are able to accompany uh, in the ways that I think are grounded and effective. Well, we have a guest today who's going to um, in, incarnate that whole idea mm-hmm. uh, out of uh, Mexico City uh, in terms of birth, but uh, the city of Houston, Texas, for the last couple of decades. Uh, why don't you introduce uh, our guest today? Yeah, I'm actually uh, uh, fairly new to, to Poncho. To give everyone a little bit of a context, um, one of our partners uh, is breaking new ground, and that's Ann Snyder Brooks. And uh, mm-hmm. And obviously been a very good friend and a big fan of Leadership Foundations. But in the course of talking with her, um, she said, hey, I'd love you to come on to this this, uh, podcast with me and uh, get to know some of the people that I'm working with. And so I had a chance to sit in on this thing. And uh, that night, they happened to be interviewing uh, Poncho along with... uh, a couple of other people. And, you, you know, Rick, it's, in fact, I told Ann this afterwards because um, they were talking about some big ideas and two of the uh, panelists were kind of professor academic types, uh, you know, which was fine and good. When Poncho opened up his mouth and began to articulate, I mean, you could literally smell the street uh, through the, through the zoom. I, I mean, mm-hmm. just the authenticity, uh, the way he, described um his work i mean his his work is specifically with uh 
migrants uh, who have had uh, some kind of accident uh, and are uh, handicapped or mm. paralyzed. So it's the, uh, the wheelchair association. Um, so just this unbelievable work. But sitting beneath that or within it, what was so profound is he began to talk about this idea um, of uh, accompaniment mm -hmm. um, that, that in effect, you know, in the midst of trying to get new wheelchairs and ramps and all of the things to take care of people, uh, the real ministry for them is just simply accompanying people uh, in some very hard places. Yeah. And I was taking notes. I, you know, in fact, I immediately uh, then reached out to Poncho and said, hey, I had a chance to listened to you the other day. I mean, is there any chance you would uh, be willing to come on uh, and talk with us? And he, uh, he gladly did. So I well imagine that Pancho is going to be, uh, you know, certainly a friend, uh, a colleague, and, you know, even potentially a, uh, a LF a strategic partner here moving forward. So just, I think our audience is going to love him. All right. Well, I think so too. Pancho Arguez, he's uh, uh, the executive director of the Living Hope Wheelchair Association. And, and talk about a, a fitting metaphor as the wheelchair is a vehicle for someone, you know, who's mm -hmm. needs to be accompanied or, you know, mm -hmm. is the means of accompaniment, but also mm -hmm. it's the, it's sort of the touch point for him to accompany a people in a, in a incarnational and more profound way. Let's, uh, yep. let's have him uh, describe this organization. Let's just welcome Pancho. Wonderful. Yeah, my name is, well, my name is Francisco Arguelles, but they call you Pancho when you are in Mexico and your name is Francisco, they call you Pancho. They call me all kinds of things, but we won't get into that. Uh, I'm Pancho Arguelles. I uh, was born in Mexico City and grew up there. And uh, I have been living in Houston, Texas for the last 22 years where I'm married to Christina, who I met. She's from the U.S., but I met her in Chiapas 25 years ago. And uh, I have two kids, Antonio and Maria. And uh, yes, I, I have been working for the last 13 years, uh, a company supporting a group called Living Hope Wheelchair Association, which is a group that was formed by immigrants uh, who suffer spinal cord injuries and had to organize in 2005 when the hospital district in Harris County decided to stop providing them with medical supplies that they needed to survive like catheters or diapers or underpads because in the laws that as a, the country has, that was kind of possible and what the law says. So uh, an institution of public health made a decision that that was good policy to stop providing catheters and diapers for people who didn't qualify for Medicaid, Medicare. So they, they did what our communities always do when when life is threatened, come together, organize and survive together. No, And that was 15 years ago. And now after 15 years, it's a, it's a small nonprofit that provides medical supplies and many other things to mostly immigrants with disabilities, but in general, any low-income or uninsured people that need uh, some access to supplies and community. And, and also, we are working to change the policies that made that necessary, no? So, Dave, here, here is a group of people, Latin American immigrants, who are really being valued for their labor and nothing else. And then Poncho uh, accompanies them, mm -hmm. you know, through these uh, really traumatic times and uh, remarkable. 
You yeah. talk about the theology of incarnation and place yeah. and non-reactive response. I mean, kind of the whole thing we were talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, you and I have been around a little bit, Rick, and, you know, part of what comes with being around is that you kind of feel like you've heard it all, <clears throat> seen it all. Yeah. Um, and then you hear about something like Poncho and his work, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And, and gives me, I mean, challenges me at some levels that I actually would maybe even admit here, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, mm. I mean, I, again, love the incarnation. I love the idea of accompanying. But when I hear how he has done it, I find myself um, almost taking a half step back and going, could I do that? Um, mm. you know, what what, what yeah. would that look like? But uh, it did remind me that, you know, Pope Francis is great, you know, great comment about, you know, the Catholic Church kind of writ large and that, you know, essentially these, these uh, priests, these, you know, fathers that he's responsible for are shepherds and shepherds, by definition, ought to smell like their sheep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> I think of uh, my own life and how I've, quote unquote, like to shepherd, but I sure as heck don't want to smell like my sheep. Um, right. And so I think, yeah, he just, he just challenges, uh, you know, me, uh, certainly Francis, but the, but Poncho as well challenges me to continue to think about how to take this, this idea of, of the incarnation and accompanying in a much deeper and serious way. And what's so interesting is, uh, you know, we often talk, use words like the, uh, underserved or the marginalized. And sometimes we even forget, um, that this would even be a group of people, you know, the people that are, Mm -hmm. you know, immobilized, you know, from a difficulty and then to, to not only walk, I mean, we mostly know that when you're in a wheelchair, somebody has to accompany you uh, generally, you know, and, and, and what's interesting is this intentionality that is a component of, uh, of, uh, you know, accompanying, you know, that it doesn't happen like, Hey, I accidentally accompanied someone, you know, you have to, you have to decide like, this is, um, worth, you know, what I'm called to. And, and these people are, uh, my community. And I think that's what we hear when we, when we hear Poncho. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I even think about accompanying and again, we see this, you know, just fleshed out in the gospels, but before you can accompany, you actually have to see well, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. And I think, again, listening to Poncho, his ability to see um, is is what then prompted him, you know, to accompany. And, you know, I think often is the case, Rick, that we just don't see very well. You know, we walk through the cities um, and there's just large sections uh, that, that we, we don't see. And so there's no way one could accompany because you don't see it in the first place. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, so then the question becomes a little bit in this process, um, how does one begin to, I think, see a bit more clearly? And one of the things that I think came up, you know, with Poncho, at least it was inferred, and I, I sense this deeply, is, and this is the risky part, is you have to let go of power, um, mm-hmm. right? You've got to, you know, move um, to a place of powerlessness. And there's just, I think, something in all of us that absolutely rebels against that idea. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and it, but if we're not, I think, in a kind of Philippians 2-like way, right, descending, uh, then we're never going to be able to properly uh, serve our city and accompany the people uh, that, uh, that live there. So, Yeah, and the great gift of someone like Poncho is that when what he sees is, um, you know, a guide to, to us seeing. I mean, that's how we end up, you know, recognizing what's up. I always think of... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, it's kind of a Seattle reference, but Jimi Hendrix talking about the, you know, until the, the power of love becomes greater than the love of power. And it's certainly true because uh, this, this idea of, um, you know, being intentional, like some people would, would maybe think, um, wow, I guess you just kind of got stuck, you know, in this, you know, in this area of need. But, but when we listen to him, he describes uh, how uh, his solidarity with the folks, uh, is intentional. Let's, mm-hmm. let's listen to what he says about that. Absolutely. I think that part of what I have been doing in, in this accompaniment uh, is to, to connect an intention to that need, to find the power that comes from that coming together in, in this intentional solidarity. Something I really learned with them, mm-hmm. and I, I apply it to my work with other groups, is that Solidarity is always intentional. You never have accidental solidarity. Mm. That connects you to yourself in a different way. Um, which one of the things that really draw me to living hope uh, is this uh, extreme situation in which immigrants whose bodies were broken in a society that told them, you only have value to me as a worker. I'm mm. going to make you come here without papers, right? like we build a legal framework and we make, we make it impossible for a worker to migrate legally. First thing, only the rich can move across borders freely. The poor have to go through the desert, have to die in the ocean, in the Mediterranean, and they only the, only the rich can really move freely. So but the borders that kill workers are for the, are for the poor. So first we make you come undocumented illegally, they will say that we illegalize you, then we exploit you as a worker, and then when your body breaks, you have no value for us, and you're tossed away. In the city where the largest medical center in the world, we tell you, go find your own catheters. Wow. And we still call ourselves a big church Christian society and a big democracy. And what these people did when they were tossed aside, they came together in solidarity and start helping one another. And now uh, it's it's building from the service, building an organization that is trying to change the rules that made this necessary. No, and I have seen that in many other groups. I was part of the team that started a, a, a worker center here in Houston called Faith Justicia, Faith and Justice Worker Center. And it's the same. It was about workers who were suffering wage theft. That is when you go to work and they don't pay you and they say, I'm not going to pay you. You are undocumented. What are you going to do? Wow. No, or they get injured in the work uh, and, and then abandon or abuse and all this. And this, again, this coming together out of need and instead of falling into despair, finding one another and in finding one another, finding something in, in yourself that makes you more powerful. In this finding of one another in our time of need, people make community, but also find God accompanying them. That experience of God walking side by side with you is a discovery, an experience that uh, I think people who experience suffering 
that is one of the gifts that comes in those extreme situations. And these days, when we're facing a pandemic that suddenly makes us all vulnerable, mm -hmm. so we all are to taste a little bit of that everyday experience of the undocumented worker or the low-wage worker or, or the black person that goes out for a walk and might be killed or anyone who is more marginalized and vulnerable, in that experience of vulnerability and suffering is where I think is the essential opening to really feel the presence of God in your life. And it's what I have seen when, when I work with Guatemalan refugees or in Nicaragua or with campesinos in, in farmers in, in, in Mexico, is that it's in the margins that there is an, it's not the only place, it's not the only place. But, chooses to reveal herself, himself, anywhere, but it's in those margins that suddenly comes with this strength uh, in connecting with one another. Well, you know, Dave, when we hear Pancho talk about intentionality and, uh, you know, we, we hear him describe an invitation, you know, and uh, that, that has to have happened in order to accompany, uh, it kind of does, you know, crystallize this non-reactive leadership idea. Mm -hmm. But one of the things interesting about Jesus is that um, even though, you know, he's not reactive, it was not something that was, um, you know, a temporary mm -hmm. kind of expression. I mean, like you can't, uh, you can't really see the city as a playground, you know, in, you know, a week mm -hmm. <laughs> there is, there is this component yeah. of, uh, of accompanying over time. Yeah that is important. Uh, speak to me about that. Yeah. I mean, one of the, I kind of run to the AA movement here, Rick. Um, one of the things that they talk about in terms of recovery uh, is that slow is real. And I, mm -hmm. I think that idea is, is important uh, in the kind of things that the poncho was talking about, because one of the things about accompanying, going back a little bit to the comment we made about power is you in effect are sort of handing over to the person you're accompanying uh, the agenda. And we don't know mm -hmm. um, how deep, right? Um, how widespread uh, the thing we might be that we are accompanying on that person's behalf and certainly on the city's behalf. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, you know, big picture, it's, it's, it's being able to allow uh, that which we accompany to set the, the, speed by which things take place. Mm -hmm. You know, there are on occasion, you know, things that happen quickly and, you know, God be praised. Uh, but um, we would look at that as more the exception rather than the rule in terms of the kind of work right. uh, I think that leadership foundations, uh, you know, do in that. I think the other thing too, Rick, that it speaks to quickly um, is that when you're in it for the long haul, um, what becomes immediately important uh, is this notion of doing it as a collective uh, of people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just too much uh, to try to, you know, haul this thing on your own. And so, again, good leadership foundation work, um, it's, it's, it's really in many ways, uh, you know, a bit of a primus, right? A first among equals where we're uh, all trying to sit in this together, uh, you know, praying for each other, supporting one another, putting our hands to different joint initiatives, but always thinking about it from a uh, from a community, you know, sort of basis uh, rather than this mm -hmm. rugged, you know, sort of individualism. This, this kind of heroic yeah. leadership that I think uh, has been given way, you know, way more than it's due, and in fact, can be a little bit corrosive at times. 
Yeah. Well, I always think of, uh, you know, uh, maybe being slightly annoyed at someone riding a bicycle um, when I'm in my car and, you know, thinking, Hey, you know, move over here. I'm going to, I got somewhere to go. And then, you know, it being just pushing, 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 and then, you know, and finding yourself annoyed by all the red lights and, and half an hour later, um, as you, you know, slugged your way through the city, the guy on the bicycle just glides right up next to you. You know, <laughs> he just, yeah. you know, yeah. has a, a different, uh, pace, but he's, he's making just yeah. as much progress. And I think that sometimes yeah. speaks to, you know, our ideas. We think that if someone is, um, you know, uh, actually, uh, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, Poncho's really, you know, his work and the work he directs is all about wheels yeah, as well. Right. <laughs> but um, just being patient, you know, the scriptures, they indicate that, hey, don't get tired. Don't grow weary. It's yeah. going to take, you know, it yeah. takes a while. And I think that's yeah, good fact, encouragement. One of, my, one of my favorite stories regarding this idea, Rick, is uh, here in Tacoma, there's uh, one of the urban legends that uh, has walked the streets here. And you probably remember his name is Father Bix. Uh, Jesuit, mm-hmm. uh, lived in the hilltop. I mean, I think, you know, Bix was arrested, I don't know, like 150 times every, <laughs> every year. year. Yeah. Deal. And you know, yeah. I think his last arrest was at the age of 87 or something like that. Yeah. In fact, I talked to him about that last arrest and he said the reason he thought he was going to get away with it because if there was a motion detector, he was moving so <laughs> slow, he didn't think it would set it off because <laughs> he was mid eighties. So anyways, yeah. the, the story is, is that, uh, my father-in-law who, uh, a uh, very good man, uh, patent attorney, uh, engineer by training, um, was going out uh, in uh, the hilltop in Tacoma to work on this this house with Bix. And, uh, of course, my father-in-law shows up and kind of sizes the whole place up and uh, turns to Bix and he says, uh, you know, Father Bix, uh, there would be a much more efficient uh, and effective way to get this porch done on this uh, on this house. And Bix looks at Pat and goes, it's not the point, Pat. That's not the point. And Pat said, well, what else could the point be? And then he, of course, showed them the people that were working on the porch with them. And it was giving uh-huh. them the opportunity that they'd never had, empowered them in such a way as to build their own porch. And it's just, yeah. that, you know, that's a perfect picture for me of what it means to accompany you. You get out of the way and uh, let the people you're trying yeah. to accompany uh, lead. So. Yeah, that is a great picture. And, and one of the things that Poncho brings uh, to our attention also is the fact that um, sometimes we don't see or we ignore what yeah. we see because we have a porch, you know, we're, exactly. we're privileged right. already. And so we don't, we're not interested in, you know, in uh, accompanying anyone. Um, so I think that that idea of uh, the collective as um, vital to, you know, to leadership that is in fact, incarnational and non-reactive. So uh, let's, let's hear him uh, explain that a little more in detail. And in the U.S., I think it's very, very strong, the notion that leadership is individual. And in my experience, leadership is always collective. And the other, mm-hmm. and, and there is a confusion between being a leader, leader in opinion, a spokesperson, or being a leader, which is this person that is in insertion with a community in place over time, that is the other thing that is essential to accompaniment. It happens over time in the journey of people to live with dignity, to survive, and to build their own alternatives, to build their alternatives to live with dignity. With that, that happens uh, uh, over time and in place. 
the other challenge I see in, in accompaniment is that for many of us, we're building the plane as we fly it. And that's terrifying. And at the same time, it's amazing, a miracle to say like, man, we're really good. We're building a plane and we're flying it. That's awesome. <laughs> and one day, last year I gave a training for a group of veterans and they, they say, yeah, and you are also taking enemy fire. And that's not a small thing. Again, when we're working on with people and communities, we are not in a debate, we're in a battle. People are dying. And I have seen the bodies. And that is hard for me sometimes when I engage with people who are talking issues. And I said like, yeah, for you immigration is an issue, but I have, I have been to the border. I have seen the bodies. Mm. I have my wife who works on disappeared migrants in the Texas-Mexico border. She goes to the cemeteries to find where people are buried without a name. Or where the members of Living Hope die, we come together and gather resources to bury them, to try to send them home. So it's not a debate, it's a battle. And that distinction is very hard for allies to understand. And, and I finish with that. Is I have learned accompanying uh, communities who are in these margins, you know, what the, the gospel calls the anagwim, the marginalized, the excluded, the one that has no meaning for the system, that privilege makes me, gives me tunnel vision. The more privilege I have, the more things I can ignore. That's for me one of the strongest definitions of, of privilege. Tell me what I can ignore, I tell you what my privilege is. I can ignore to us if there's gonna be a ramp in the building because I can walk. I can ignore to us if there's gonna be interpretation, translation because I'm bilingual. Or I can ignore if it's safe for me to go because it's close to the border or it's late at night, I'm not, I'm not a woman. Or what are the things I'm ignoring? And that's why I need a collective leadership because collective leadership helps me dismantle the things I, I can ignore. And together we acknowledge things. But for me, it's a key concept for these times. This Kairos time, it's yep. all about what can we acknowledge together, not what we know, but what we have the courage and the grace to acknowledge. Well, you know, Pancho, Rick, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. And <clears throat> again, I, as I said earlier, I find myself um, deeply challenged about uh, reviewing my own life <clears throat> in light of what does it mean to accompany. Um, there's just a number of different people, different situations that have come to mind, and I'm going to uh, sort of double down and try to figure out what that, what that looks like going forward. So it's just great. Yeah. So anyways, we uh, have added this new segment, of course, um, to our, our podcast. Um, yeah, our closing segment. Our closing segment. And the idea here is that uh, we are going to ask somebody uh, what helps them, what recommendation would they give that helps them see the city a bit more clearly, maybe more like a playground. Um, so, Rick, it's your turn this week, and uh, so I'm asking what film, maybe TV show, book, poem, practice, or insight that has opened up your eyes to see the city as God's playground more clearly? Well, thank you for asking, Dave. Uh, this is the question I usually get to ask, so it's kind of fun to be on the other side of it, but um, I thought about this, and you know what it is for me right now is the farmer's market. Hmm. You know, the farmer's market is kind of uh, 
looking differently because of the COVID situation, you know, there's a, a sort of a different uh, pacing, not quite mm-hmm. as crowded, but there's mm-hmm. still this um, interesting uh, opportunity to interact. And I actually looked it up. Uh, they say the average number of uh, conversations that you have in a, uh, like a, like a large supermarket, if you're getting groceries mm-hmm. is two and sometimes one, sometimes you're greeted by the person that, that's, you know, adding up and, you know, taking yeah. your, your money. Other times there's another moment, you know, when you ask somebody where something is, but that's it. But something about the market and in, in even in our smaller village uh, outside of the city, we have a, a little Thursday market. There is an interaction with not only the folks that are shopping, um, even though it's kind of a socially distanced you know, mm-hmm. interaction now, but also with every one of the vendors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's sort of an invitation to, to, you know, talk to them, ask them, how's it going? And then also have them explain something to you or what do you recommend? And, you know, when we're in a, a more uh, sort of, retail kind of supermarket setting, it seems like, um, you know, folks are kind of annoyed, (laughs) you know, if you go, you know, you have to kind of excuse me, I know you're stalking something. I know you're at work. Let me pull you away from it. Whereas in the market, this is what they're there for. That's great. Is this engagement piece. So I think when I go to the market, I think, wow, this part of the city at this point in time is very playground esque to me. It's, uh, it's all of us, um, you know, together and, and the things that we're usually looking at are things that are just, you know, kind of necessity things like just, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, a carrot or, you know, some celery or, you know, just things that we're going to, you know, make a salad with. And so it's, it's a, it's just a, for me, it's magnetic to be a part of a market situation. And so I thought that's my answer. I think that uh, when I get a chance to go to the market, yeah, or for our audience, one more time, your recommendation is? Is the the local public farmer's market. Wonderful. Either in your town or one near you. Well, thanks, Dave, for asking. And uh, one of the things that uh, we can end up with on this is uh, I was talking to a professor of mine at the University of Washington, and uh, he was talking about taking responsibility and I, uh, I was listening to him and, and I, in light of what uh, Poncho has been talking about in light of, you know, just the podcast uh, um, and seeing the city as a playground. And I, I was interested in his response. And this would be kind of our closing thought. He said, well, uh, you know, we, uh, we need to be responsible, right? And I said, well, how do you define that? And he said, uh, responsibility is the ability to respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there it is. It was right there in front of me, right? But yeah. I just didn't really think of it that way. And what he was saying was, look, if you have, or say conversely, if you don't have the ability to respond, then you Got shouldn't yeah. feel a responsibility. Yeah. But if you have it, and if the only thing that's masking your ability to respond is, you know, privilege mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, uh, then, you know, we're in breach of, of being responsible. So I think what we've heard today, it's just another example of um, uh, Poncho is, you know, he found himself in the organization he runs uh, in a position where they have the ability yeah. to respond. And in doing so, they've caused us to see yep. a group of people that were, yep. you know, virtually invisible and also see how yep. the incarnation really works, you know? And you so anyway, I'm, I'm grateful for that and thankful for a chance to, to yep. once again, have a conversation with you. All right, so until next time, uh, all right, hit the, hit the farmer's market, Dave. I will do it. <laughs>